I really, really enjoy when somebody says you can't do something uh, because that just, oh my gosh, there's nothing more exciting um, than hearing, oh, well, we can't do that. Or, well, that, that just inspires me to say, well, let me figure out a way because I guarantee you I will find a way because whatever system and constraints that has been built, it's been built by a human, which means it can be undone by a human. Welcome to Rotten Apples, where we share the best ideas in education, whether it's learning space design, restorative practice, or simply teacher self-care. We're learning from the experts who cut through the BS and find out what's really working and what's not in our classrooms and schools, making St. Louis home to the best educators in practice today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our first full episode. We are going to be interviewing today Dr. Chris McGee. And while there are some incredible people that we're going to be talking to this semester, selecting the first person to talk to was such an easy decision for me because so many of you actually are already familiar with his work. Dr. McGee is a teacher, a coach. He's worked at the administrative level, but most of you are probably familiar with his work in Connected Learning. He is the founder of that organization along with a wonderful team of people that have been building it into something amazing. They are responsible for bringing us EdCamp every February that comes up in just a few weeks. Super excited about that one. And uh, all kinds of other events that are not terribly expensive. If they cost anything at all, most of them are free. So the IKEA design events uh, belong to them. The, uh, some of the Apple events, the Google events that you've been to, a lot of those are orchestrated by this organization. And so I thought that it would be really great to talk to him because he kind of has this sort of bird's eye view. Uh, the people who go to those events are, you know, in St. Louis public and in the charter schools in the city, tons of the suburbs, all the way out to Wright City, St. Clair, uh, and some are even further than that. And so by organizing all of those events and talking to the people at them, he has a really great grasp of what's going on. And that I thought would be a really great way for us to kick this off. So I hope you enjoy it. Okay. So I want to kind of get started just by you telling us a little bit about where, how you got into education, what your um, relationship is to the field and what your experience has been in St. Louis in general. Yeah, so I uh, grew up in Collinsville High School. Um, I attended Summit Elementary. Uh, and in fourth grade, I had a pretty amazing um, male uh, teacher, which is the first male teacher I had uh, in my career. Um, and his name was Mr. Pluta. And uh, he was a fantastic uh, educator and really kind of a, opened up the door to, you know, education as a possibility as a, as a career because uh, my mom's a nurse and my dad works uh, or retired from the army. So I really didn't have any educators in my family. Uh, I know that that has a tendency to be passed down like genetics that uh, certain people uh, go into education and the rest of their, uh, you know, offspring uh, also become educators. Uh, but that was just something that, uh, that I was interested in. And then in high school, um, I had a, a pretty amazing uh, high school chemistry teacher that, um, Cared for me, also uh, inspired me with the really interesting um, problems and uh, and tasks that were uh, that were just right up my right up my alley, and that was exactly what what I wanted uh, to do. Is I wanted to be a science teacher in high school, um, so I, I went to school for that to be a thing. 
I wanted to coach sports and spend my entire career uh, teaching uh, high school science and coaching uh, football and track, and that was going to be that was going to be it. Uh, and then uh, quickly, when I got into the field, I realized there was all this other stuff uh, that I could do that I didn't even know existed. Like I just knew that teacher was an option. I didn't know that there was anything else. Um, and then started to uh, play around with, well, what what are different uh, positions or even roles or responsibilities that best fit um, my skill set uh, or my attention deficit, whichever one um, that allowed <laughs> me to get to uh, where I want to get to. And also, um, you know, encouraging people to think differently about what happens in education. School was never easy for me. Uh, it was always hard. And um, knowing that school was hard for me means that it wasn't built for me. Was it built for me to be successful? So how do I influence a system uh, to accept kids that, uh, that think more like I think? I think that's such an important point. I love that you said that because I wasn't that either. That's kind of my drive for getting into it. And I did. I came from a background of a lot of teachers and my parents really did not want me to go into the field. They wanted me to do something different. And I had the same kind of experience where um, it just wasn't the dynamic exciting i love to learn but i didn't love being a student in that environment and that's a really important distinction that i think a lot of educators recognize and it's kind of the drive for it but you mentioned that you always thought that you just wanted to be a, a coach and a science teacher and was there anything that drove you either out of the classroom or were you drawn in by something else in particular yeah i think it was like I always wanted to have a classroom because I always wanted to have a, a space to prototype, uh, like a sandbox to play in. Um, but I always knew that, um, I don't know, I, I it sounds silly, but I always knew that like I should be in a place where I'm either motivating others, inspiring others, or supporting others. Like it, it, there's something about, um, I guess, the 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 need for, for me, maybe it's a, a Napoleon complex uh, or an inadequacy of, <laughs> of, of self. Uh, I don't know what it is, but um, I just always felt that like I needed to find ways to, uh, to, to feed the need to support others uh, as well as to, um, to lead in some sort of way. Uh, so I think there was that calling. Uh, and then I also think there was like, there was, there was more, there were more, um, you know, sandboxes to play in. There were more, there were different kinds of sand. There were different things that were out there. Like, yeah, you can have an, an entire job where all you do is focus on curriculum, uh, or you can have an entire experience where all you're doing is looking at data and, and trying to find out trends and patterns and, and ways to influence what happens in the classroom based on that data. Like those are jobs you can have in education that, uh, that was just beyond uh, delivering uh, today's unit or lesson or essential question. Yeah, well, and I don't, for those of you guys who are listening, I mean, Chris is six foot three, so I don't know what he's talking about with the <laughs> <Atlanta> complex. <laughs> Only, in the, Only in my dreams. Only in my dreams. But the, um, I think that is part of it. Like I, I had, I experienced the same thing. I loved being in the classroom, but it's once I had literally taught every single course, social studies course, and then a few years later on online, all of the electives, it's like, okay, what 
what's next, you know? So I think for a lot of people who are wrestling with leaving the classroom, it's not always for the reasons that people think. And for those of us who got into the field, not because we like to profess what we know, but really more because we love to learn, that can be, you know, I think a, a real challenge for a lot of classroom teachers. Some people love it. Some people could sit and, and teach the same content for 30 years and be blissfully happy. Um, and a lot of us just can't. So. Yeah. And I, I know, um, a mentor and uh, and colleague that I look up to tremendously, and she, um, you know, remember sitting in a meeting with her just over coffee or whatever, and she looked at me and she was like, you know, I've always seen sort of a restlessness behind your eyes, and I was like, ooh, man, you like, I'm sorry, can you did you just see right through me, like just like into my soul, like in that moment, which was just sort of an off guard comment, but yeah, there is that sort of restlessness, like. How can we improve? How do we improve faster? How do we how do we learn the next thing that will influence uh, the classroom? And how do we make that accessible for for all educators, regardless of whether they you know they're teaching in a wood grained beautiful private school uh, down to we barely got heating going uh, in a in a in a public school. So how do we make those things? Uh, how do we make access and information uh, equal in those two different environments? Boy, and I hate those people who can see you. I hate them. <laughs> the ones that don't buy, you know, your your speech, your discussion about it, your official proclamations. They just kind of know you and what you're really all about. And I think all teachers really have those. So, um, so you've clearly done a lot of different things in uh, different roles in largely public education, right? Yeah. So, so I started I started teaching high school chemistry and did that for three years. I uh, thought I was so good at that that I decided to go to middle school, um, and I taught for uh, 10 years in middle school and recognized quickly that nothing in the world prepares you for teaching middle school, um, but it is probably closer to my maturity level, uh, and then uh, spent a couple of years as an assistant principal for an elementary, uh, assistant principal for a middle school, uh, and then now currently serve in a, in a central office role um, in the Afton School District. Right. Yeah. So that kind of speaks to the ADD, getting that a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's funny that, you know, I uh, if you kind of look at the calendar, you can see I've kind of, um, you know, at the mid or little late mid term in my career uh, and uh, looking through the, the list of experiences that I've had, like uh, they've all one prepared me for the next, but also um, provided uh, context uh, for the for whatever the next thing like you know looking back the path makes perfect sense but uh, when you're in it and you're kind of looking ahead you're like how are you gonna like how did that happen like how did you go from high school to teaching middle school what what what, what? Uh, and then from middle school to elementary like what, what what were you doing what were you thinking and and all of it you know sitting where I am today um, you know working in a in a you know, away from a school building, um, you need to be able to rely on those experiences. Okay. Like I know what it's like to be in a kindergarten classroom. Like I know that the hundredth day of school matters and I know, uh, to be aware of that and make sure that I'm not, uh, making decisions that influence that, uh, that experience both for kids and for our educators. Yeah. And so I guess about maybe what, four, maybe five years ago, the restlessness even with that kind of sink in and 
you decided to go ahead and start a nonprofit because you had <laughs> nothing better to do with your time. Right. You know? Start a family you were, and start a nonprofit all in the same family year. And start Why not? Um, and you just don't know how much time that will uh, will suck away from uh, anything else. Um, but I also found things that, um, you know, what are the things I really like to do? Well, I'm an extrovert, uh, so I like to be around people. So whatever I choose to do as a hobby, it has to involve people. All right. So well, what are the, what are the things I really enjoy? Well, I enjoy uh, learning and I enjoy technology and I enjoy, um, you know, nonfiction. Well, dang it. All that stuff is like all centered around, well, do I just keep going to school? No, I need to find something uh, that, that uh, also kind of lends itself to those interests. Uh, and then finally, I really, really enjoy when somebody says you can't do something uh, because that just, oh my gosh, there's nothing more exciting um, than hearing, oh, well, we can't do that. Or, well, that, that just inspires me to say, well, let me figure out a way because I guarantee you I will find a way because whatever system and constraints that has been built, it's been built by a human, which means it can be undone by a human. I really, really enjoy when somebody says you can't do something. Uh, because that just, oh my gosh, there's nothing more exciting um, than hearing, oh, well, we can't do that. Or, well, that that just inspires me to say, well, let me figure out a way, because I guarantee you I will find a way, because whatever system and constraints that has been built, it's been built by a human, which means it can be undone by a human. I really, really enjoy when somebody says you can't do something, uh, because that just, oh my gosh, there's nothing more exciting um, than hearing, oh, well, we can't do that. Or, well, that, that just inspires me to say, well, let me figure out a way because I guarantee you I will find a way because whatever system and constraints that has been built, it's been built by a human, which means it can be undone by a human. Administrator here, um, you don't need to be sharing these professional development opportunities um, and this is not your role. And, and that oh, was- Oh, I love that. I was like, like, oh. Don't you love that? Yeah. yeah I'm like, not, oh, stay I, in your lane. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was a, you know, the, the, if you read between the lines, it's like I was making her look bad. And because uh, because she had stopped learning and um, and I was, you know, um, very excited about uh, going to to learn something new on a, on a Saturday on my own. Um, so so that was kind of the the some of the impetus behind like we can we can do better. Um, so. Uh, that that exact uh, event was uh, Ed Camp KC in 2011, uh, and in 2011, me and a, a colleague uh, drove to Kansas City, uh, attended a conference, and drove back uh, on Saturday night. And and on that drive back from Kansas City, said, "Well, this unconference format doesn't seem that hard. Like any idiot can do it, and I'm an idiot, so I can do it." Um, so we put it together and. Uh, the first year we had about 150 people attend on a Saturday at uh, Maplewood uh, Richmond Heights Middle School, uh, and then uh, from there uh, grew it to what it is today in the EdCamp STL. And um, and from 2011 to 2013, it was really hard to uh, every year kind of start up this this event because that's all we did was just one event uh, and. Um, in 2013, we decided to file for uh, a 501c3 and and register the LLC and and kind of get all that off the ground. And, and in 2013, kind of got the the seal um, and then flailed a little bit from 2013 to about 2015, just trying to figure out our way. Uh, and then I would say if you 
you give us a, a born on date, it would be uh, 2015, which is about three years ago from from today. And uh, that uh, I say that we're about three years old and we have our temper tantrums and we're like a toddler as an organization. And we have moments where we do something really cool. and We look at each other and be like, hey, look at us. We, we figured out how to say that or how to do that or whatever. Um, but then we also have our, our shortfalls uh, and uh, are still learning to walk as, a, as an organization, but, uh, but doing the best we can. Yeah. So for people who don't know about EdCamp and the unconference format, I mean, what is that all about and why that is still Connected Learning's flagship event? You have a lot of others that we can talk about, but EdCamp is still the one that is most heavily attended. Um, most teachers register for it. Uh, so what is that format like and why was that the drive for this? Why was that so appealing to you? Yeah, so what I love about uh, the EdCamp concept, so it happens everywhere around the world uh, all throughout the, the year. Uh, EdCamp.org is a great uh, organization that uh, really inspires these things to happen. Um, ours, uh, we're lucky enough to say, is one of the biggest, if not the biggest in the world, uh, which is a fantastic uh, way that we can kind of market this experience. Um, but what was so important to us is that we we believed uh, wholeheartedly that the the smartest person in the room is the room. And how do we continue to get people into rooms so that way they're breaking down silos, they're sharing expertise, um, things that are delivered are not prepackaged or advertised or or influenced or biased in any way. But there's there's just real, authentic, true. Uh, learning happening, and and that's what the beauty about uh, the unconference or the EdCamp model is that uh, you know it starts as uh, blank sheets of paper in the morning, saying like these things are going to happen in these rooms. I'm sorry, these rooms are open. These times are available. What do you want to talk about? And then people just take their sharpie, walk over to the piece of paper, and write up what they want to talk about. And I love that. I love that. Hey, you, you're awesome. You have something to share, or I have a question, I have a problem, I'm struggling with this student or this process or this experience, and I want to write it up on the wall so that way I get some some expertise to, to talk about it. So, you know, that is being our core is how do we, um, you know, or engage educators um, to break down silos, to um, share their expertise, uh, as well as uh, make it a, a fun and inviting space. I think that's, you know, when you ask what is a, how is a connected learning event different than a traditional everyday conference? Um, I think there's definitely more humanity that takes place there. Uh, people come and, and bring their flaws and their, uh, and their successes, uh, as well as uh, we encourage a, a little bit of silliness. Uh, because if there's not enough curiosity and wonder, um, you're not going to get to those uh, creative uh, spaces. So, so we do like to engage uh, in a little bit of silly. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I know uh, at most of our events, uh, specifically at EdCamp, will will have a session where it's uh, you know things you can't do in a school. So you know we'll have uh, areas where you know people are rolling um, teacher chairs up and down the hallway. We'll be uh, throwing paper airplanes. We'll be you know yelling in the library. You know the the concept is not only do I want educators to learn next to each other, but I want them to play next to each other uh, because that's where uh, creativity and wonder happen. Yeah, that actually makes me think of, I interviewed Mike Dietrich, who's the uh, Maplewood Richmond Heights middle school principal a while back, and he always likes to say that you need to take the work seriously, but yourself, not so much. So it's, and that's what yeah. the, the events are definitely lighthearted, 
But what's fascinating about it, especially with EdCamp, I mean, it's completely participant-driven. So if you show up, and with some conferences, they're really good, and some are not so good. Some are good one year, but then they're not great the next year. And I think that part of the reason why, from what I've seen, that EdCamp in St. Louis goes so well each year and gets hundreds and hundreds of attendees is that there are so many open sessions available that if EdCamp wasn't good for you one year, all that tells me is you didn't write your problem on a session board yeah. because that it's if you need to get a question answered, if there's something that bugs you and it doesn't have to be planned months and months in advance, it can be something something that happened to you on Friday and mm. you show up on Saturday and say, Hey, I got this problem. I want to talk about it. And it will attract, you know, a ton of people from all over the region, not just in your district, not just in the districts right around you, but absolutely everywhere. And there's no hierarchy. There's no belief that anybody really has the answer. So everybody shows up with this level of humility. No one is there to look good. <laughs> no one is there to, you know, show off everything that they know. They're there to get answers. And that I think is what kind of makes that one different. But then Connected Learning has, as you mentioned, they kind of really got going in 2015. And there are all kinds of crazy events going on there. So, I mean, what are some of the other events that you guys host? Yeah, uh, coming up uh, next week, one of the things that I was uh, really interested in was I, I was I've been interested a lot around the research around uh, happiness, uh, mostly because of a lot of the work uh, that we're seeing in schools right now uh, center around social emotional learning and and uh, the way that you know not only are our students stressed out, um, but our but our staff and our teachers are and our school leaders are. So uh, so next week we're partnering with um, a professor here at WashU that did a bunch of research around happiness uh, and is teaching us some of the science as well as giving us some strategies and, and some tools uh, to actually engage um, around some happiness activities in our schools and our classrooms. So that's an, a simple little workshop that we can put together, uh, provide people with uh, breakfast or lunch, depending upon when the event is, uh, or dinner, and then allowing them to engage in, in some um, professional conversations. So that's a you know an, an easy one that sort of happens out of nothing. Um, another example is um, we know we have amazing educators in the Midwest. Um, so we're actually partnering with about 20 of them, um, and each of them are going to write a chapter, uh, and we're going to have one of our uh, uh, prolific authors uh, tie all those stories together. And what we're going to end up with is we're going to end up with a published three series of books um, that all tell stories of different um, successes and innovations around our region. Um, so being able to take uh, the experiences that our educators are, are leveraging in their classrooms or in their communities and shine a light on those. So that's an example of like, okay, we want to get people together. We want to put them in a room. We want to encourage them to share. And then through a sort of critical friends model, um, author and publish a book. And then we'll have about 25 to 30 uh, published authors as a part of our organization that um, we can make available uh, for our region. And that's that's the kind of stuff that we want to do. We want to shine the light on other people uh, as well as uh, create um, lower barriers uh, to, to learning. Um, and then we're, we're looking at uh, creating new uh, experiences with 
um, educational technology organizations, whether it be with uh, Apple or Google that are influencing the schools and, and some of the resources that are there uh, and trying to provide conferences for people that are either free or as close to free as we can possibly make it uh, and, and bringing in some really amazing learning opportunities through uh, a Google Summit, an Apple Summit, uh, a Chrome Camp event that are just ways to, uh, to engage people uh, around that concept. Uh, and then finally, uh, bringing cohorts of people together around specific topics. So um, we currently have a, a group of educational technology coaches that are, there's about uh, 50 of them that are uh, just one cohort uh, of group of people that are all connected to one another, sharing expertise, sharing resources, because what we found is that there really isn't a good network for coaches. So we're going to facilitate that conversation so that way um, coaches are typically one person sitting in a building by themselves uh, or sitting in a district um, and we're creating opportunities or, to bridge those gaps uh, so that way those groups can stay together um, and share things that are going well and share the resources that they're making so that way uh, they're not so darn lonely. Yeah, well and the isolation piece is just such a, a huge thing and think that there are a lot of organizations that do have, you know, the standard workshops and academies and uh, conferences and, you know, what just in attending learning events in particular, because as you mentioned, they're not, some of them are nuts and bolts, just, you know, this is kind of how this rolls and this is what you do. Uh, but a lot of them are things like, uh, there was one, I remember it was some sort of like learning stand-up or something. Do you remember that one? Like, what was that? Oh, it was we the, did, uh... Improv. So we, we, yeah, so we partnered with a, uh, a nonprofit organization because one of the things I know if you um, are paying any attention to English learning standards, there's a lot around speaking and listening. Um, well, we, if we don't know necessarily how to speak and how, how to listen, we're, we're not going to be able to accomplish our English language arts curriculum. Uh, but to also that piece, speaking and listening is so influenced by the culture of the classroom and the culture of the classroom can always be improved through well listening to one another and working together towards a common goal um, so working with a, a a local organization called compass improv group uh, we're able to bring the strategies of improv to classroom teachers so that way not only can they play improv games in the classroom, but more importantly, create classroom rules and classroom culture that promote conversations, promote listening, promote, uh, promote the uh, diversity of, of thinking. Um, I know from my for my classroom where kind of that idea came from uh, my classroom, I had two classroom rules that were hanging on the wall uh, and they were the only ones I ever needed. One was accept every offer and the second one was make your partner look good. So from those concepts of accept every offer and make your partner look good, everything in the classroom can be based off those. And those are improv rules. Um, so I stole that from improv using a, a, a book I learned um, uh, from Second City Improv Group. But that concept is really easy. And that's what I want to see our events happen that we accept the people that come into those spaces and then we do everything we can to not not also make the host look good but the sponsor look good but also uh, help each of us uh, go back to our classrooms and look good yeah and i think that's what makes the events so unique is there if i saw a session at a standard conference that talked about 
listening skills in the classroom, I would probably expect to walk in and see a PowerPoint and maybe some video and some explanation and maybe a little bit of an activity or something. This was totally different. You're just walking in and it was actually like, I, I, what I love when I attend these events is probably a third of them actually make me like mildly uncomfortable <laughs> because it's something that's totally outside of the box. It's very different. It's always fun. It's always engaging. And, you know, I don't feel like I'm going to walk into a session with the possibility of getting a mild concussion because somebody is throwing a starburst at me to try to get me excited about Google Forms or something. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> it's actually like a legit experience that you also draw from different industries. And that's something that I think we really need to do a better job of in our schools is there are a lot of other industries that are really good at engaging people and listening and responding. And so identifying when those groups can help out and help teachers learn a new way of doing things, that's just a, a huge accomplishment. So um, you guys have coordinated dozens of professional development opportunities all over the place. So what do you think are the top three most interesting things that you've seen or heard at those events? Yeah, I think it changes every year because I think I change every year and I think I hear different things uh, every time I go to it. But, um, you know, last year we had uh, 17 uh, events throughout the year, so a little more than one a month. Um, you know, this year we're, we're closer to 23, 24, uh, which so, you know, we're getting up there in regards to experiences. Um, you know, we have about last year we had about 1500 people walk through the door. Um, we'll probably eclipse that this year. Um, so knowing that we're, you know, we're definitely influencing the, the, a lot of classrooms and a lot of people. Um, I think that uh, the moment that we, we sort of see in the menu of things that we're offering um, being pretty traditional, then I know that we're, we're probably stale in, in where we're going. Um, we always try to figure out what is the most uncomfortable thing to your point uh that we could put out there that is a different experience um i know right now there's a lot of conversation around learning space design like how do i design a space for uh for the highest possible learning that a student can have whether it's kindergarten or or high school um so one of the most interesting things is um partnering with as many architecture firms, interior designers, uh, anything that has some science behind it uh, around being able to, to educate teachers on, okay, like, yes, it's good to have pretty things, but also to make sure that every one of those pretty things has a reason and a purpose um, and, and, and making sure that every one of those promote whatever it is you're trying to do in your classroom. So I think that's one thing that uh, has influenced what we're doing. Uh, I also think that... Um, you know, the needs of the region have also been able to be met. I know there was not, not a lot of support around special school district, like our, our students that have maybe more, more increased needs. Uh, so this year we, we partnered with uh, a, a teacher to create something like literally the teacher had an idea that I want to bring teachers together that all serve these really unique population of kids, whether it's uh, a, a behavior disturbance, whether it's emotional disturbance or autism, like how can I get all these people who have really unique specialist um, experiences together in one event? And so we made that happen um, with her idea uh, as the inspiration to bring, um, you know, over 100 people together um, that were in those roles. 
so I think that's a, a second piece is like recognizing who's out on the fringes and bringing them together. Uh, and then finally, the last one is like, what what is what is next? What is the next thing that we're going to see uh, coming down uh, the the educational pipe, if you will? Uh, I know for me personally, what I'm looking at in the future is more blended and online options for kids. Like, what is a true blended and online experience? What does that look like? Um, and then the second piece of that is how do I immerse an educator or a classroom teacher in a professional field? So if they teach biology, how do I embed them in an experience that they can experience what biology is outside of the the made up classroom experience, like in a lab or whatever role or, or experience that is. So we're looking at externships and how that that influences uh, the adult learner. So, you know, those are some things like when you think about, you know, how do we attack the edges? How do we provide an experience that is unique, uh, but also immerses people in a in something that's sort of non-traditional uh, is, is where we like to sit. Right. And so those are all really important priorities. What do you think is the thing that our region needs the most right now? <laughs> Healing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think a lot of people would agree with you on that one. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I just see such disparity, uh, whether it's a uh, disparity in opportunity or disparity in thinking. Um, but, uh, the, the, the concept around acceptance and love and, and compassion is, uh, is, is really tough to sell, um, in a, in a, in a, in our environment that we're currently in right now, um, in 2018. But, uh, at the same time, it's, uh, it is something that I feel like we need. Um, and, you know, I try to, whether I uh, put it out there or not, but I try to come from a space of love and create experiences through connected learning that, that are loving and accepting experiences. So that way, uh, anybody that attends feels that, uh, that, that um, in, the, in the room, if you will. But man, that is, uh, that's what we need. We need more listening and uh, a lot less uh, talking. Uh, as I sit here and talk. <laughs> <laughs> and as I sit here and facilitate the talking. We're just listening. <laughs> well, it's okay, because you know what? You won't be the last one. Everybody will have a chance to talk. <laughs> so, so hopefully that will get fixed. Okay. So just want to wrap up with a couple of just kind of lighter local questions just to get a general sense of what is kind of interesting and fun for you. So I want you to go ahead and finish or fill in these sentences for me. The restaurant everyone should be going to right now is? Yellow Belly. Yellow Belly? What, what the hell is that? Yeah, it's uh, in Central West End uh, here in St. Louis. Uh, it's uh, Master Chef Richard Blaze from Top Chef. If you uh, ever know about that, that is a uh, so just opened up and it is amazing. Um, so get on the waiting list. Uh, use your Open Table app or Yelp or whatever it is, and and get in line. That place is amazing. Nice. What kind of food is it? Um, kind of um, molecular gastronomy, American intersection. So really, really unique uh, foams. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Works for me. Okay. Uh, the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is. Um, so I am a, uh, whew, I'm an inbox zero person. Uh, so the first thing I do, uh, with that, uh, concept in mind, uh, is I will open up my email, go through and delete all the things immediately that, uh, don't, uh, influence the rest of my day. So, uh, the first thing that I do when I wake up is open up email and delete, 
Um, and it's a beautiful thing that you're like, nope, don't need to do anything with that or that or that or that or that. Um, so that way, you know, by the time you get to the office or the time that you get to wherever it is you need to get to, uh, the things that are there are only the things that matter and that you actually have to do something with. So I love starting out the day with sort of a cleanse of uh, things that you don't need to worry about. It's like you're speaking Russian to me right now. Like, I don't even know what that means. I have, as I'm looking at this right now, I have 8,700 emails in my inbox. Yeah, and that's it's just like the last. It's a whole separate podcast. I'll I know. Teach, I'll I teach know. You. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're going to have to teach me what you know, because I don't know what that is. Okay. Right now, I'm binging on. Oh. Man, that's a good one. What is my current? I mean, I just finished the British baking show. That was a big thing that uh, I tried that out. I think everything I do centers around food, which is a problem. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think um, uh, the next thing I'm going to start, it's it just coming out. I think uh, maybe even today or tomorrow is Adam Ruins Everything, uh, which is a true TV uh, show and also a Netflix. Um, but I will I would just nail that entire show and go right into it. I know it's it's coming out either today or tomorrow, but the whole concept is that uh, this guy, this character um, uh, takes a concept like, for example, purchasing a car and tells you all the things that are just absolutely ignorant and wrong about car systems. So for example, like, why is there a Toyota dealership? Like, you don't go to Target and you only get one kind of thing. So why is there just a dealership that only sells Toyota? Why is that a thing? And there's great research on the laws that have been um, propped up to make that happen. So Adam Ruins purchasing a car. And there's a whole bunch of other ones that are fascinating. I oh, love it. Now I'm going to have to start watching that one. Yeah, it's a great That's one. great. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, Dr. Chris McGee, thank you so much for visiting us today on Rotten Apples. Thanks for having me, Dr. Amy Peach. You are amazing, and I hope that this is fun for you. Oh, it's a blast. I could spend all day, every day, talking to people. So I really appreciate it, Chris. Have a great day. See you. Okay, everyone, I hope you heard something new and useful today. If you want to learn more or have an idea for a future episode of Rotten Apple, just go to educatestl.org where you'll find resources and links from today's chat and fun news and event information for educators all over the STL. Thanks for listening and connecting with all of us Rotten Apples and for doing what you can to get better every single day. See you soon.